Have you thought this through? No way will that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll never make any money doing that. How are you going to pay the mortgage? Just get a job. to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. We're broadcasting on WLCB 101.5 FM from the greater Chicago, Milwaukee area. If you're an entrepreneur or a small business person, this show is for you. I'm Doris Nagel, your host for the next hour. I'm a crazy serial entrepreneur and I love helping other entrepreneurs. And I've also counseled entrepreneurs and small businesses over the past 30 years. I've seen lots of mistakes, and my goal is to share what I've learned and to help inspire other entrepreneurs. And to do that, I have guests on the show every week who are also willing to share their stories and advice. This week's guest is Austin McNabb. He's the CEO and co-founder of a company called VisiPay. It's an award-winning provider of payment technology solutions for small businesses all across the U.S., and the creator of the original cash discount program. BusyPay is based in West Des Moines, Iowa, and supports retail and restaurants with payment processing terminals and point-of-service integrations. It helps companies with online businesses. The company prides itself on transparency and a simple and easy-to-understand pricing model. The company has nearly 40 employees and hundreds of independent sales contractors. Austin founded VisiPay in 2017. Since founding it, the company has experienced consistent triple-digit revenue growth, going from $96,000 in 2017 to a projected $8 million-plus in 2020. Prior to joining VisiPay, Austin was executive director of a company called Central Payment. He also worked for Card Payment Solutions, and prior to that, he was in management roles for retailers GameStop and Best Buy. He's also a board member of the Waukee Youth Football League, teaching the fundamentals of football to athletes in grades three through seven. He's married, and they reside in Waukee, Iowa, with their three children. Austin. With that introduction, thanks so much for being on the show today. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur. Thanks for uh, having me. And gosh, it feels like uh, you covered everything. I, I don't know what to say now. I'm, I was joking. <laughs> well, okay, we're done. Well, folks, that was a very short show. <laughs> There's lots to be said. I am very interested to hear the story of how you started VisiPay and have grown it with such phenomenal growth. I think the place to start is really just to talk a little bit about your business. So briefly, what is VisiPay? What's it do? And who does it help? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the call. I think you're doing a justice to current entrepreneurs and future entrepreneurs. I think this year, 
there's probably going to produce more entrepreneurs than we've seen in a long time because of what's going on. And you just reaching out or, or having me on the show and I can benefit someone, even one piece of advice to help them succeed or move further on in an entrepreneurial career. I'm just glad to do so. So thanks for having me on for sure, Doris. I really do appreciate it. And then uh, going into your question, I've told a million people what we do, um, and I'll make it very easy to understand. VisiPay started um, in 2017, like you mentioned earlier in your, in your awesome introduction, because I spent 11 years of my career prior to this with one company and then several years with a, a, a previous company. And I've seen a lot in this business. One of the things this business lacks is transparency. And on top of transparency, there's more bad apples in our business. And that's sad to say in a business that I love and I'm very passionate about. But I think change is good. And I think companies like us that are disrupting are the payment space with transparency, with uh, additional options for small business owners across the United States. And what VisiPay does is think about non-cash payments. Anytime you don't use cash, so that means it's credit cards or you know, when you're going out there, like you mentioned, you're buying online and you're key entering your credit card, anything credit card usage wise, you know, that's what our company helps small businesses process. And we give them options to either cut their bill in half or eliminate it completely with our cash discount program. And we give them those options that they've never really had before. It's always been a one-way street in this business. When it comes down to accepting credit cards, there's always companies like us winning and the owner just dealing with whatever hits their doorstep. And I think that's slightly unfair to the small business owners that employ the majority of Americans anyways. So we give three options. We give the option of paying a bill like they regularly do now. We actually are one of the only companies that I know of that actually cap and regulate our sales partners in the field of signing them up with what we call traditional processing. And traditional processing is think square. Think, you know, if you're paying a bill today, the full bill, that's traditional processing. That's old school processing to us. We don't let our individuals go out there and gouge. This is an unregulated industry. You can actually put someone at whatever rates you want to put them at, and no one hits my doorstep yelling at me. And if the owner doesn't catch it, that's their problem. Well, I think that's I think that's horrible. But we are on a, we are in an unregulated business. I have to ask you to back up just a bit to make yep. sure that I'm clear and that that all of our listeners are clear. So. You refer to lack of transparency and bad apples. Give me an example of how there's a lack of transparency and how that costs businesses. That's a fantastic question, and I'm, I'm more than glad to answer that. If you looked at VisiPay's website, for one example, and you compared us to the next 100 credit card processing companies or pro, you know, processes when you're searching for companies like us, and you put our site comparative to all them, you'll be very surprised what you see. What you see is on our site is, you know, you see the full, you know, definitions of rates and fees, et cetera. Uh, we actually will put it all on the line so the owner knows exactly what they're paying and we back up our sales partners. That's why we cap and regulate them. If you look at any other website out there, for the most part, you'll get the, we could save you money, you know, we could cut your bill by 25%. You'll get all these cool things to kind of get you to buy in. But there's no definitions of their rates. There's no definitions of their fees because they allow their independent contractors or and or their company uh, employees to put individual like a bakery at whatever rate they want to put them at at any given time. What happens with that is, is if you do get set up with a company, a lot of those companies out there that don't 
back up their sales partners with rates and fees and definitions of exactly what's going on like we do is you get the, I call it bait and switch. You get the shiny little toy right now that molds up in a year because rates will increase and annual fees will all of a sudden pop up and extra fees will come out of nowhere. So that owner is forced to continually watch their bill every six months to a year to make sure that they're properly getting the rates they were actually promised. Because in these contracts, it enables companies to raise the rates at any time. And there's no cap to how they can do it or what fees they can add. I'm sorry, but that's kind of amazing. I mean, I guess naively, I would have thought that the amount of competition in this space would mean that companies really can't do that. That kind of like a credit card companies, you figure, well, one's pretty much the same as the next. And I think what you're saying is not so fast, right? Yeah, well, that's not, yeah, that would be an in, in inaccurate statement. They're just, they're just not the same. And and if they're able to show you one rate today for accepting credit cards at your business, if you don't pay attention, I kid you not, if you don't pay attention within 12 months, your rate will go up or an annual fee will hit or something miscellaneous will happen that basically will spike your, what we call effective rate. You know, so the percentage they're paying based on the volume that, you know, they're processing, that fluctuates a little bit by maybe a couple points, like as in base. And I'm talking not like a percentage, but like 0.05%, not 1%. You know, so it will fluctuate enough for you to notice, but not notice. But if you do that times thousands of clients, that company makes millions of dollars, right? So they can get away with it. Well, I think that's unfair. And I think it's unfortunate that a business owner has to always focus on yearly or every six months, you know, an annual fee popping up out of nowhere or a rate increase that pops up out of nowhere that they're getting hit with. And that's why we cap and we regulate our sales force. So we not only do we hold our own self accountable by posting it publicly, but we also hold them accountable because they can't go and gouge their clients. And that's why for the traditional program, we have that cap there. Now we have mm-hmm. other programs, like for example, a surcharging program, which we call the hybrid program, which is you know pretty big in like countries like Australia, and in Europe, et cetera, and the United States is getting into it. 46 states allow it. The other four states is considered illegal currently. Um, that basically allows a small business owner to charge on credit card fees, but not charge on debit cards. So when you go to their establishment, they can charge you for the use of credit cards, but they can't charge you for the use of cash or debit cards. That program we have saves about 40 to 60% for our clients. And that actually is more dominant to us now than it ever has been, especially this year, causing that, you know, with a lot of loss for these small business owners. And then the third way, which is the most dominant way we have, which majority of our business comes in, actually eliminates the processing fees that a small business owner pays and allows them to process an unlimited amount of credit cards for a flat monthly fee of either $25, $50, or $100, depending on their volume. So that means their bill is not fluctuating. You know, they're getting ahead of the problem with that. Therefore, at the end of the day or the end of the year, they're not looking over their shoulder of if their rates change. It's just a flat fee that they can actually put on the P&L and just know it's going to be charged monthly. So there's not a moving target there. And that also eliminates their processing fees. And that has helped them substantially. Our small business owners that we have worked, we've saved well over $10 million and probably on our way to 15 now because the last time we actually updated that publicly was $10.6 million. And that was six months ago. We're probably closer to $12, $14 million mark now of savings, and that's growing month over month over month. 
because we basically now are working with these business owners to get ahead of the problem instead of be behind the problem with our cash well, discount. I know that it is expensive for a lot of businesses. I've had a couple of clients who are like, can I just pay you with a credit card? And you look at it and you go, wow, that's a lot. <laughs> I've compared notes with other business people and they're like, wow, yeah, that, that makes sense when you have no other choice or when you're doing a lot of transactions, but for a small number of transactions, it just doesn't pay. And so I think what you're saying is, well, hold on a second. You may not have looked at all the options, right? Well, yeah, because, you know, unfortunately, most sales partners or sales reps in the nation or most companies, they don't really give the options. We train and we educate our sales force to give small business owners options. They deserve to have options. And for years, almost two decades I've been in the business, it's always been a one-way street. And the one-way street always happens to be the companies like us winning. That's a little bit unfair, I think. And, and that's why we have decided to build our company around transparency and options. And we're building technology around these options to further help small business owners across the United States because we want them to flourish. They employ so many people, millions of people in the United States, and they deserve to exist still, regardless of the pandemic went on this year or not. And they need to know what options are on the table and they need to make an educated decision on what's best for their business, what program is best for their business, and not worrying about companies like us taking advantage of them when they look the other way. Well, let's pivot just a little bit and talk about how you decided to start the business and how you found funding and how you decided on your business model. So take us through a little bit of the journey of how you founded the company and got started. Well, I founded the company, you know, we, we obviously started, uh, like you said earlier, again, 2017. And I spent 11 years of my life with a previous company that ended up selling in increments and fully selling a couple years after I left, totally. Number one, I didn't want to go through that transition of selling and, and being too corporate. I hate the corporate vibe. I, I can't stand it, to be honest with you. I love the startup feel. I love the startup feel. I love that hunger that you go through as, a, you know, as just starting a business. And that type of momentum is what I want to be a part of. And then I just knew what was happening. You could see the writing on the wall a mile away as they started selling in increments. So I said, well, my contract's going to be ending with this company. So do I continue it and extend it or do I go a different direction? And I felt like I could uh, go a different direction and do it in a way that, you know, I think the, the, the payments world should run. And that, again, backs up the transparency, you know, concept that I was talking about in options. So I banded together with a, a couple individuals that I know. Actually, they happen to be my neighbors. And I, I kind of presented the idea. I, I did not want to go and look for outside VC money or anything else like that. I'm just not, me personally, I didn't want outside money. I didn't want to raise millions. By the way, I could have. I had enough connections or I probably could have pulled it off, but I didn't want to. And the reason why is I wanted to utilize my own money. Okay. I went 14 months without making one dime when we started BusyPay and we were almost on a brink to bankruptcy, by the way, you know, until we turned the corner on the 15th month. Literally, it felt like the last hour. Some boxes of mac and cheese were uh, were dwindling in your pantry. I'm just picturing it, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and it felt that way. Now, don't get me wrong. Everything I have prior to VisiPay, I earned through my last company. So when I got to this level, I had to look at my savings and the money that I had and said, hey, listen, I, my dilemma was this when I started VisiPay. Am I willing to risk everything that I built for 11, 12, 13 years 
to literally lose it all if I fail. That was my, the only dilemma I had. And I jumped right away into, you know what? I'm willing to lose everything and fail and then not try and build busy pay whatsoever because I think this can be an explosive concept that can really disrupt the payments business based on my experience. So I took the leap of faith. And you know, uh, we didn't raise millions of dollars, by the way. The money came from within. And during those 14, 15 months, I mean, there was days that you questioned if you can pay the next bill, you know, as the months creeped up because I knew exactly how much savings I had. And then also, you know how it is starting a business. You've been around entrepreneurs for 30 years. You, you know, things pop up all the time. All of a sudden, you think you need to put this much money in that day. And then all of a sudden, it's like, well, I need a couple more thousand, actually. <laughs> if I have a lesson to share, it's that things take longer and they cost more than you think they're going to, even if you have a great business plan, right? Yeah, all my projections went out the door of what I thought it would cost over those 14 months. You know, because I never ran a business full scale like this. I had failed at attempting to run businesses that were outside the scope of busy paying the payments world, but never like this. You know, I didn't want to raise money and I didn't want to raise money, uh, you know, millions of dollars because I wanted to do every job I was going to ask someone else to do. We have 40 employees today and we're growing and we're about to go into this new office where we could fit 145. I wanted to make sure that when I ask someone to do something, I've done it myself before. I have done every job here, you know, uh, from A to Z. And that allows us to pivot when we want to pivot and not have outsiders telling us what they think we should do. And when you do get outside venture capitalists, money, et cetera, they, they kind of have a say in what you do. You kind of have oh, to yeah. run it past them if you would. You can't pivot. I have to wait for maybe an answer or maybe an input. And knowing me, I don't want to wait 30 minutes for an answer. I want to make a decision now if I need to make a decision. I didn't want to deal with all that. So I said, I'm going to do it our way, our vision, our culture, the way we want to build our company with the vision we have with our own money. And that's what we did. So when it comes to outside funding or funding, like you mentioned, we didn't look for outside funding. We didn't want it. Although don't get me wrong. It would have made life a lot easier in my opinion, but I'm glad it was hard. I'm glad it was difficult initially because we learned a lot as we grew. So I'm curious what things from your past experience helped you and what things did you find that you weren't as prepared for? You know, I think who I am today is, you know, I, I kind of posted this story that was done on me late last year, early this, you know, about my childhood. I didn't have much and I had to fight for everything I had. You know, when I started this company, I wanted to start it with that type of grit, that type of grind mentality of don't expect things for free. You have to work hard for it and you have to put yourself in a position to create opportunities for yourself. And eventually now my goal is to create many opportunities for the individuals that work with us and that, that give a lot of their life to BusyPay. You know, as we grew the company, the things that threw me off for a loop, if you would, is you have to be willing to learn something every day and willing to pivot on a moment's notice to change direction when you start a company. And I knew that, but I didn't really know that, right? I never ran a full-scale company like we are today. Give us an example of how you had to pivot. For example, so when we first started, we wanted to do a W-2 model of sales partners in, in the field. I came from a world that all I knew was 1099 independent contractor sales force, never a W-2 sales force. So initially, 
you know, we had a W-2 sales force, you know, the first probably uh, year. You're um, talking about people who are actual employees versus contractors that gig, gig workers, basically. Yeah. Correct. So, you know, the, the independent contractors, they can work for any company in the nation. They can work for 10 companies and I couldn't tell them not to. Right. Well, with employees, you can hold them more accountable to non-competes, et cetera. They kind of follow your regimen of what you want them to do. So we thought, well, we can control our reputation. We can control our focus, you know, with W-2s. Well, we realized a couple things. Number one, that's not necessarily true. Independent contractors train correctly and put in a position to succeed with our kind of our, our, our culture and the way we want to do things. They actually go out there and you can control their thought process when it comes down to really, truly, genuinely trying to take care of small business owners. And number two, I hate to say it, we were running out of money. So we had to pivot. You know, when we sat there, we're like, well, you know, uh, W2 guys and gals are great, but we can't afford them. So how do we pivot and stay in business? So we made decisions to actually transition a handful of our W2s into 1099s. And we gave them the ability to create residual income as an independent contractor. And a handful of them are still with us today, making thousands of dollars per month. It did great for them. It allowed them to have freedom, not being a W2 employee. And it allowed us to cash flow better. We had literally 30 days to figure it out. And that's the pivot we made. And, you know, one of the best decisions we made as a company at the beginning. No, I think that's a really common misconception among a lot of startups and entrepreneurs. I don't know. Maybe there's a certain amount of ego for some to be able to say they have X number of employees Maybe it makes them feel more real to know that they actually have a paid employee, someone on the payroll. But I, I think for a lot of startups, it's a really expensive way to go. And many of them really don't realize just how expensive it is until they start down that path, just as you've explained. You were starting to talk about some of the things that you weren't as prepared for when you first started your business. Yeah, that would be, a, I think, a solid statement. I don't think I was. I think when you get into it, you can plan. And I'm a perfectionist. I'm a very process-driven person. And I put everything on paper. I, I plan it out to the T. But, you know, one thing I learned very quickly is what you put on paper and the plan you have is going to change. And you have to be willing to change as the demand forces you to, regardless of its cash flow, regardless of its employee-driven, et cetera. We had to pivot and we had to change and we had to change quickly. And the plan that we had in play was not the plan we have today. You know, the biggest thing about when you're starting a company, and I said it earlier, is you have to be willing to risk it all. And if you're not and you hesitate to do so, you probably shouldn't start a company or you probably shouldn't try to do your own thing. That's where I think a lot of us forget is there is no really true backup plan, if you would. I have no degree. I didn't graduate college. You know, I got graduate high school a year and a half early. I had no backup. My backup plan was to go sell them payments again somewhere. You know, that was a backup plan. But that's after I lost it all, if that happened. So I think that's something that, you know, is overlooked. And also when you start a company or a business, you have to be willing to pivot accordingly. And, and now we do have 40 employees kind of going back to your subject. And I think it's a sense of accomplishment to say you have X amount of employees I think it's a small victory, if you would, every individual you can employ and every individual you know you're, you're employing. But it's also just as good for me to say we have hundreds of independent contractors that are also entrepreneurs in my mind because they are their own boss. They make no money if they don't go out and build a business, right? 
And right. I think that that feels just as good to me today than it is saying I have 40 employees. You know, I, I did an interview a couple months back and I explained three types of individuals that I know of. My father is one of them. He <laughs> spent 21 years in the Marine Corps. He has two or three retirement checks. He's always worked for somebody. He's not a risk taker and he doesn't like you know, have a rush of taking any type of risk. He's, he's just my father that happens to be okay with working his butt off and for many years getting retirement checks. And he lived, by the way, he lives a great life. He has no debt. He lives in Arizona. He's retired. He does a bailiff job on the side and he lived a great life. And the middle person is the person that needs that set salary, kind of like my, my father had but they need a little bit more excitement. So there's the commission that's thrown into it, the excitement to make more, right? And those individuals that are needed and that are very successful in their own right. And there's the individuals that don't want a salary are willing to take all the risk in the world to really maybe hit it bigger. And every single individual is intimate in successes of companies like us. You need all the three different mindsets. They all work differently and they all have a different definition of success. And you need those individuals all combined together to actually make something successful. And I think that's what we're accomplishing here at VisiPay. Well, I think that's a great insight. Austin, I have to ask you to hold your thought for just a second. We need to take a quick break for station identification and a word from a few of our sponsors. This is Doris Nagel, and you're listening to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. With us, our guest this week is Austin McNabb, who's the founder of a company called VisiPay. You know, Austin, before the break, we were talking about those first, I guess, 15 months where you said you didn't make any money and things were really tough. A lot of entrepreneurs can really relate to that. But then there's the phase where you did start to make money. And that brings with it, I'm guessing, its own set of challenges. So talk about that phase of when growth started to take off and what some of the challenges were at that point. You know, when we saw the, the table starting to turn in the way of actually going positive, you know, we had a choice and we're a residual based, you know, industry. So if we can just continue being baseline, just normal, the money and the residuals will start stacking because you're not adding more employees, you're not adding anything special, you're just maintaining what you have currently, which I believe it or not, I think a lot of people end up doing, you know, in, in whatever business they do. But we had a choice and the choice is simple. Do we continue on a baseline and being just the same and plateau, which by the way, we still would have been successful, allowing us to bring in and make more money as the ownership, if you would. Or do we double down on growth and put every dime that we started making right back into our company, right back into hiring more employees, right back into sales, advertising, the whole world? And we undoubtedly made a decision without even hesitation, put every dime we're making, every penny extra we're making and hire more people, double down on our sales efforts. So why did you do that? You know, there's a lot of discussion in business books about how to scale and why you need to scale. And you'll talk to a lot of business people and they're like, ah, the scaling stuff, you don't have to scale. You can have a perfectly great life without scaling. So why was it so easy for you to make the decision to take on even more risk and to just go for everything, go for the brass ring? That's, that's a good question and that's an easy answer. It wasn't good enough. I wanted more. You know, and I've had that mindset since I've been a kid. 
I have my mindset today, the same thing. We're not done yet. We haven't made a big enough difference. We haven't helped enough business owners. We haven't helped enough entrepreneurs that are AK independent contractors. We haven't made our stamp in our, in our business. And I want to make our name for ourselves. I want to do the right thing and have, you know, our company disrupt the payment space. So I want more. I don't think what we have done at that point in time, that juncture, and I don't even think what we are today is good enough. I think we can be better. And I think that, you know, we get that out of our staff here and we get that out of the top of the ownership. And that's why it was such an easy decision because I wanted more. I wanted to make more of a difference. And the only way to do that is to scale and scale at a larger capacity. Instead of taking all the money in and being comfortable and being fat and happy and enjoying life, I'd rather not take that vacation. I'd rather not buy that extra vehicle or have a vacation home any day of the week unless I'm completing my task at hand. And I don't think we're done yet. And I don't feel like it's anywhere near complete. And that's why that decision was easy. You touched on an interesting point, I think. You need to really do some soul searching at some point. It sounds like you probably had already done that soul searching. But the soul searching about why you're doing this, I mean, for some people, really, I think they just want to see some happy customers. They want to hire a few good people and they want to create a comfortable lifestyle for themselves and for their family. And that's enough. And that's okay, I think. But I think there are other people who are in the business, not for that, but they have maybe a cause that they're passionate about and they want to change something about the industry that they're in. And I think it sounds like that's really what drives you. Mind you, I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's a great strategy. And I don't think, you know, having a comfortable lifestyle and and being baseline and, and, hey, you know, I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. I'm not going to double down. I don't think that's a bad either. But you know what else is motivating? And, And this is, you know, sounds too good to be true kind of concept in my mind. But, you know, everyone that we've ever hired at our company has a chip on their shoulder, Doris. They want to prove something to their family, to themselves. They, they, they wanted a second chance. They want an opportunity or someone to present them an opportunity because they were looked over because of some odd reason on their resume, et cetera. We were very picky about who we hired. When I see individuals at our office come out of their shell and they start succeeding and they start doing more and they start you know, maturing right before your eyes. I want to create more opportunities for the individuals there too, not just small business owners, but internally. I can't create more opportunities for individuals within our establishments if we don't grow. If we don't grow, new positions don't open up. If we don't grow, new divisions don't aren't created. If we don't grow, individuals at our office can't continue to be creative and passionate about what they do for a living because it becomes complacent. It becomes just normal. And I hold these guys accountable to a very high standard of always wanting more and never settling to be mediocre. And if I'm the one cutting it off at the knees because I want to be complacent, that's unfair to the individuals here because I don't think I've done enough for these individuals that have gotten us to where we are today. And I feel an obligation to continually open up more doors and continually give opportunities to the individuals that are sacrificing a lot of their life to the success of BusyPay. And if I told them, hey, guys, we're just going to go ahead and coast and plateau, we're cool. Well, then they're going to know that their opportunities and their doors that are opening within our organization are also going to plateau because you're not growing. 
you know, we're in the age of instant gratification. You, you start a job today and you, you want to be president of the company tomorrow. And we all know that doesn't happen. Okay. And these guys here also know that doesn't happen, but I can't make them wait 10 years, a decade as we can just plateau growth, you know, and for the next opportunity, we'll lose them to a competitor. We'll lose them somewhere else. And why would I ever want to do that when we put in a lot of blood, sweat and tears together collectively to get them where they're at today? So we need to get them to the next level quicker. The only way to get them to the next level quicker is for us to double down and put money back into the company for growth and, and hiring more people and, and uh, you know, sales, et cetera. And that's why another reason why I did it. And that's why there was no hesitation. They spend more time here with, with us and their own families. We owe it to them just as much as we owe it to, you know, you know, to ourselves. So. Well, it's interesting. That's why I think you're underscoring that you had already done that sort of soul searching before you even hired those employees, because you had a vision for the kind of employee you were looking for. And that kind of employee needed to be part of a rapidly growing company, as opposed to I'm thinking of, you know, the, a family business and they they don't want to operate in four states. They probably at some level have already done that search in whether they can articulate it or not. And they hire a different kind of employee. They hire an employee who is also going to be content doing a lot of the same things for a long time. And so I think, you know, I think it's important for entrepreneurs to be really honest with themselves particularly when they're hiring employees and, you know, figuring out who should be part of their management team is to really, I think one of my colleagues said, you need to begin with the end in mind. And I think that just underscores exactly what you're talking about, which is the kind of people you hire, the management team that you're looking for and are going to work with and is going to be happy supporting this initiative is, is, you know, it's really important to think about what, what does that end look like? Would you agree? I would, I would totally agree. And I, I never heard it said that way before. So you just taught me something um, and I actually love it. But yeah, I would say that statement's uh, totally accurate because you're right. You know, I know what I was looking for and my managers now that hire individuals below them, they also look for the same things that I look for because they're the person I look for. You know what I mean? They, they kind of know mm-hmm. the culture that we're building. Our culture mm-hmm. is a little bit different than most companies. The culture we're building here is if you start with our company, we don't get used to what you're used to. You get used to our company culture. It's not the other way around. If you can't handle the heat here, you got to get out of the kitchen, right? <laughs> and, and, that's, and that's the process we have here. And that's why we're so... We're so aggressive in our passion for what we do. And that's why the individuals here today, I would run through walls for, and I know they would do the same for me. And I think that's important to build that type of culture, especially at a startup. We're young, we're hungry, we're grinders. We, we're not afraid of work. Work ethic is very important. Accountability is very important. And some people don't even know they need that in their life. And then they wake, they come here and be like, holy crap. It's so fast paced, uh, their culture is so much different than working at a big Wells Fargo, for example, that is corporate driven. You say the word fart, you get sued. You know what I mean? That's not what we want here. We want people to be themselves. We want people to be creative and, and allow themselves not to be micromanaged because I want to surround myself with people smarter than me. I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. 
And that's what I'm starting to do now is a lot of these individuals are becoming more educated in different areas of the business than I am. And I actually love it because that's important to me. This has been a really great conversation, particularly about thinking about how to establish the culture you want and how to hire the people that fit your culture and that are going to be happy and thrive in that culture. I'm sure, though, that the rapid growth that you experienced brought with it some challenges. Talk a little bit about some of the challenges, maybe some that you expected and some that you didn't. Well, you know, a lot, a lot of challenges for us, uh, you know, in our businesses, we can never allow sales to outgrow our back end, which is our customer service tech support. When you sign an account, you also want to keep them long term and you can't keep them long term if your back end is non-existent, right? So you can't deliver reliable service. You don't, you don't want your platform breaking down or going offline or generating inaccurate information or whatever might happen, right? Correct. So, you know, one of our challenges that we had initially, and it sounds crazy, we actually had to slow down sales for a handful of months at one point in time because we were getting so many sales that we couldn't keep up on the back end. And we made a decision and we said, hey, listen, we need to hire more people in the back end and be okay with sales being slow for two or three months to allow us to catch up and at least over... I'm a big believer that we need to overstaff customer service tech support, which is servicing our small business owners, not under understaff, because sales, once you get momentum, you know how it is. It could be a, 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 a you know raging beast, you know, and we were building that and that was sales were flowing in like it was easy. And we just knew that we had to take a quick breather to make sure that we prepare ourselves for the proper growth of sales and also the current clients we have, we had to make sure that we can take care of them. Because how unfortunate would it be to get tons of sales, hundreds of thousands of dollars, just to lose a lot of them because we couldn't service them? Well, that would be an injustice that we're trying to accomplish. And it's interesting, your problem is one that a lot of businesses would kill for, which is too many sales. Talk about some of the things that need to happen in your company for the whole platform to function smoothly. Some of the behind the scenes things that maybe your customers maybe don't even know happen. That's a good question as well. Well, number one, and I know it might be a little bit off your question, but I think the number one thing that we had to establish is company culture. Because company culture is a direct result of the experience that we give our clients and our sales partners, which is independent contractors. Because there's two types of clients we serve. We serve the small business owner, and we serve the entrepreneur that's an independent contractor, right? We serve both people as a company. So we have to make sure both are supported correctly and that our mindset here as a company is solution-driven. The word no should not be the most dominant word we use to help people. It should be, how do we find a solution? So the building a company culture of our mindset, our grit here to find solutions and dig deep to actually get those things accomplished is a direct result of why we have great reviews a direct result of why we have low wait times and great support for our sales partners and our small business owners. But I think culture is by far the number one thing that you have to get right in your recipe, if you would, in building a business. And I think so far, knock on wood, we've done a hell of a job building that culture and that mindset here of accountability, of wanting more, and always finding a solution to issues, even though they seem impossible. And I think that's where it starts. There have to have 
been some rough patches along the way. How do you keep going when you do hit a rough patch? Um, hitting rough patches, I think, are it's like you know falling down when you're a kid and scraping your knee. You know, do I quit running if I fall down with my friends one time and this now while they're playing football and running around, do I just sit there and just walk around? Well, no. You you scrape it off, you bleed a little bit, you put a bandaid on that sucker, and you go back out and you go you you go hit the next guy on the football field and you and you hustle to do it because your teammates are counting on you. And that's the way I look at it is it's easy to give up. That's the easiest. That's the easy route to go when a rough patch happens is just to fold your cards and call it a day. With our mindset here is actions speak louder than words. I live by that. I breathe by that. You know, your words don't really matter. The actions behind your word, the execution behind your word matters. That's where when we do have a rough patch, we pivot. And we say, well, how do we find a solution to get away from this rough patch, although we know we just fell down and got a bloody nose? Because if me falling down or me hitting a rough patch stops me in my tracks and never doing anything again or wanting to you know, help individuals here be successful or help small business owners or whatever it may be, then I shouldn't be in this damn business anyways or in any business in that capacity. I should just go work at a nice eight to five job and call it a day. But that's not our mindset here. So when we hit rough patches, we just know that, hey, we're going to fall down. But the reaction, a.k.a. the action behind what you do after you fall down, is a direct result if you're going to be successful or not. Yeah, that's, I think, great advice because the journey is is exciting, but it can also be scary and, and frustrating sometimes. Most businesses, it's not all sunshine and rainbows and unicorns, right? And if you're... Ego is easily bruised or you're easily discouraged. I don't know if being an entrepreneur is necessarily the best route for you. It, it, may, it may sound attractive, but you need to have an iron core, I think, to be successful as an entrepreneur. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, you know, one of the things that it was a hard thing to learn is, you know, at some point in your life, you actually care what people think about you and you care about everything. You want to make everyone happy. I think. Mean, I think we've all been at that level of our life that we just felt like we had to make everyone happy. I know that every decision I make, regardless, it's right after this call or in a week from now, I'm not going to make everyone happy all the time. I'm not going to be liked all the time, but I want to be respected. And how you are respected is you, you stand by the decisions you make, you take action on those decisions, you execute on those decisions, and you move forward with it. And then people eventually will start respecting the fact of, hey, that individual is not wishy-washy. When that when they decide to do something, they do it, right? There's a joke that goes around in my office. When Austin says, hey, let's do this slowly but surely, he means get it done now. It's funny <laughs> because that's it's a, joke, it's a joke in my office. Everyone makes fun of me for it because when I say slowly but surely, I expect it to be done like yesterday. But, you know, when you say it slowly but surely, if you don't know who I am, you're probably like, well, Oh, cool. I could just take my time and do it. And then I've, I've actually seen employees leave my office. They don't know. I can probably hear them when they walk out my door for a second. Uh, by the way, when he says that, that doesn't mean do it literally slowly, but surely it means you probably should do it now. It's an <laughs> ongoing joke in my office because that's who I am. I'm very quick. I'm very fast. If I want something, I'm going to go get it. If I want something right now, I want to do it. I'm going to go do it. I don't wait for it because I don't want to sit on things. I want to get things done. I want to get things accomplished. And I know on occasion, you know, sometimes you might not like that decision and sometimes you might feel pressured to get it done. But 
I, at the end of the day, I really don't care. I care about finding the solution and getting whatever we're trying to accomplish completed. And that sometimes takes a little, you know, bumps and bruises, if you would, like you said earlier, you know, to get yeah. there. Yeah. I'm astounded that you spent time in big corporate America. You must have been really unhappy with a lot of things. Well, you know, I was in a unique position. You know, when we first started that company, it was a startup feel. It was that that passion that you would want as a startup. And they actually created that environment, the individuals that I work with over there. And I loved it. I fiend off it. It was fuel to my fire for many, many years. And then I saw it transition to corporate. And I started seeing that corporate America mindset. It almost made me demotivated to go to yeah, work oh yeah. and, 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 oh and yeah. actually work hard. They had me initially because the startup feel. But then when they started turning that dial corporate, that's when I was mentally checked out to look to maybe doing other things. I don't ever want that mindset of my company here, BusyPay. I don't care how big we are. I don't care if we're as big as the biggest companies in our industry. I never want to lose the feel of being a startup, no matter how big we are, because those are the individuals I want to surround myself by, the hungry individuals that are passionate and take ownership of what they do day in and day out and always want more and always want to grow. And I think that startup feel and the accomplishments you make along the way as a startup, that's what builds a, such a, an awesome culture that we're trying to do here. So I, I watched it happen once. I don't want to be a part of it happening again with me at the helm. So where would you like VisiPay to be in, say, three to five years? I would say that in three to five years, if you and I talked again, which I'm assuming we'll keep in contact, you'll probably ask me, hey, Austin, do you feel successful? And I'll probably say, you know, Doris, not really. We have more to do. So I think in three to five years, all the goals and all the money challenges that you go through as a startup, I think will go away by then. But I don't think the second and third and fourth sets of challenges, um, we're going to be fighting those battles then. How do we not plateau? How do we have you know, the culture we had at the beginning still continue to be you know, lit on fire today? But in three to five years, I think we'll have a lot more employees. I think we'll have a lot more opportunities for individuals within our organization. I think we'll have thousands upon thousands upon thousands more of accounts. And when it comes to small business owners being on board with us, and I think we'll be in a good position at that level. But I don't think we'll consider ourselves successful even then, because I think there's going to be a lot more to do, a lot more accomplishments to do, a lot more opportunities, a lot more doors to open up for individuals, even at that point. I don't think I'll ever get over that. And, and that's probably maybe a sickness. I don't know what it's called, but I don't think even in 20 years, I'm going to feel like I've got it done or successful. You know, I may look like I'm successful maybe then, you know, I may, people may perceive me as successful because of tangible things I have in my life or a big company that we've grown, but I don't personally feel that I would ever be okay with where I'm at whenever I'm at that point. I'm always going to want more. I'm going to say, well, this is not good enough. I want to do this now. This is not good enough. We need to do this. And it's never going to be good enough. And I think that's the mindset you just have to have when you're a grinder, when you're an entrepreneur. It, the day that I say it's good enough, I better not be working anymore ever again in my life because I just don't think that will be that day. I don't think that day will ever come in my life, unfortunately, or for myself, probably. <laughs> well, I think what some entrepreneurs do when their company has reached whatever plateau there is, oftentimes will sell maybe to the employees, maybe go public and the entrepreneur will go off and scratch another itch. 
you think that could be you at some point? Yeah, actually, you know, I do. I do. I, I think that, you know, there's a lot of ideas and a lot of things that I want to do, you know, in the payments world above and beyond VisiPay. It's not right for today. It's not right for tomorrow, probably. But years down the road, there's other things I want to accomplish in the payments world above and beyond what we're doing today, specifically surrounded by a more intense technology build out. That's not what we're going to be built for when it comes down to just specifically focused on that. So, yeah, I have a lot of ideas and ambitions to do outside of this. But, you know, when that time comes, I'll cross that bridge. And in the meantime, I'm, I'm fully focused on what we're doing here with the crew we have here. Good answer. So, Austin, looking back on this amazing journey you've been on, what advice would you give to other entrepreneurs who are just starting out, maybe, or are at a plateau and are struggling? A couple biggest pieces of advice, and I give this, and I've said the advice a little bit already in this call, and I say it in every call. And I think it's the most important thing for me that I had to realize, and I think a lot of people need to realize, is I built what I had, you know, cars, house, the whole works with my last company working at a corporate job, okay? The question to myself when I decided to open VisiPay is, am I willing to take everything I just built at a corporate job or whatever it may be and just totally lose it all if I failed building VisiPay? You have to ask that question to yourself because a lot of people that are entrepreneurs well, there's a couple types today that are going to grow. The ones that are unemployed that are, got laid off and collected unemployment, they might be w- looking for the next job that's comforting to pay them a salary or hourly job, and that's okay. But they also have to be willing to say, hey, it might get a lot worse if I decide to try to start a business with barely any money, but am I willing to do it? Or if they're working at a corporate company and they're like, well, gosh, I have all these nice things. I got healthcare paid for. I got you know, a nice house. I got you know, nice cars, bills are paid, et cetera. Do I want that pressure to maybe lose everything just to start a company, to create an idea and build it out? If the answer is yes, then do it. If you hesitate on that answer, I would hold off on doing it because I think you might be, you you set yourself up for a little failure because you'll be dealing with scared money. You'll be so worried about what every dollar is cash flow wise that you'll end up making decisions that are not beneficial for growing a company because you're not going to be willing to take risks because you're too worried about paying the light bill, right? So that's the one piece of advice I would give is be willing to lose everything to build your company or become an entrepreneur. Because if you're not willing to lose it, I think there's a lot of people just don't have backup plans and me included, okay? When it comes down to, you know, (laughs) I, I would have lost every, I would have lost everything that I built in 10 years at a corporate company within 15 months that we didn't take the right direction. Everything gone. I mean, I would have been back to living in an apartment again. I mean, crazy, it'd be a nightmare, you know, but I was willing to do that, you know? Um, And I think that's something that is overlooked when you start a company, because you're right, it's not all, you know, rainbows and unicorns, et cetera. You have to be willing to change. You have to be willing to take action. You have to be willing to make a decision, which is sometimes very hard to do, on the fly. And you don't have weeks or months to make that decision, especially when you're at the beginning when cash flow already is tight. You have to make immediate decisions right away. And you got to be prepared for everyone around you that used to help you and used to be your friend or used to have your back or says, hey, I wish you well. Half those people is BS. Okay. When the times are tough, most people walk the other direction, especially your closest allies you got to be able to also know that there's not a lot of people you can count on in the world that you're trying to build. That's going to be probably tough at the beginning. 
And yeah. you have to be willing to live with that. And I think people also underestimate the fact that, well, I can just call my several of my friends for advice, or I can just call some family members. Well, by the way, when you're struggling and you hit a voicemail and they don't return your call, well, you can't probably wait three days for a phone call back to talk to them about an advice. You have to make that decision yourself, you know? Well, and also some of those folks may be well-intentioned. And in fact, you may get unsolicited advice that you sometimes have to be able to tune out. People will be like, what are you nuts? What are you crazy? Are you done with this silly thing that you're trying? And you have to sometimes be willing to tune it out, right? Yeah, because there's a lot of people that they're going to play the game of telling you what they would do, not what you should do. So if they're not starting a business and they haven't went through that rodeo before, most people that you're getting advice from, especially when you first begin entrepreneurship, you don't know, you don't have a lot of connections in the entrepreneurial world. And if you do have connections, those individuals usually, if you don't benefit them, they're not going to want to give you sound advice anyways, nor would they probably take your call, let alone family and friends that have never risked everything. They're going to tell you the cautious answer because the cautious answer is maybe you shouldn't do it. Maybe you should hold off. And the reason why it's cautious is not because they're trying to do ill will against you. They're being cautious because in a year from now, they don't want you to come back and say, well, you told me. They don't want to be the bad guy. Or they don't want you to get them up to borrow money because you're down and out. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's another good one. They don't want you hitting them up when times are tough for a thousand bucks. (laughs) All right. Well, this has been a great conversation. The hour has flown by. One last question for you before I let you go. If people are interested in learning more about VisiPay, or they want to learn more about the industry, or maybe they want to be an employee or a contractor for you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Well, the best way to reach us is we're very heavily on LinkedIn. So you can find VisiPay, which is V-I-Z-Y, Pay, P-A-Y. You can reach us through us through LinkedIn or our website, VisiPay.com. And I'm a big believer to help others succeed before yourself. So if anyone ever wanted maybe a quick piece of advice, et cetera, you can also find me personally on LinkedIn. And I'm not going to ask for anything in return. If I can help one individual get to the next level and whatever definition of success is for them entrepreneur-wise, I'm more than willing to do that. So you could find me as well. So either or, whatever is easier, whatever they're looking for, they could definitely find us in two, those two angles. Thank you for that generous offer. And thank you again for sharing your story this week, Austin. It was a delight to have you on the show. Well, thanks, Doris, for thinking of me and having me. And, and, and I look forward to uh, you know you continually to do what you're doing, which is helping future current entrepreneurs succeed with interviews like this. I think you're doing something that's probably unnoticed or unappreciated to some, but to others out there, I'm sure, like myself, we appreciate what you're doing. You're trying to make our entrepreneurial world a little bit better. So thank you for doing what you're doing as well. Wow. Thank you. Folks, that's our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again, especially to our guest, Austin McNabb, who's the founder and CEO of a company called Pay. Now, you can find more helpful information and resources on my website, globalocityservices.com. There's a library there of free blogs and tools and podcasts and other resources. And because the show is for you, my listeners, the door is always open. I welcome comments, questions, suggestions. I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at lakes, 
plural, lakesradio.org. I promise I'll respond. Now, be sure to join me again next Saturday at 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern. We'll have another great guest and topic. But until then, I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneuring.